Firstly, thank you for your prayers last week as I was unwell, but uh, firing on all cylinders by Monday evening, so I'm very thankful for that. Before we um, come to the time in God's Word, uh, does anybody use Word for Today as, their daily, as one of their daily devotionals? Some people do. Where is, where's the front page? It's here somewhere. Did anybody read today's? Well, let me read it for you because I want it to lead us into a time of prayer for folk this morning. A number of people that we're praying for. Um, thank you for those on the prayer text prayer chain. Uh, Lee Dean uh, ended up at hospital last night but came home. Uh, she's struggling. Most people wouldn't know that she has a, uh, a nervous condition that any cloth or pressure on her skin brings immense pain. And right now she has primarily in the right leg. So we'll be praying for her in a little while. Let me share with this share with you this uh, devotion this morning in brief. And it's under the title of Does Your Loved One Need a Miracle Today? Jesus was still teaching when four people came up carrying a man on a mat because he could not walk. But because of the crowd, they could not get him to Jesus. So they made a hole in the roof above him, let the man down in front of everyone. When Jesus saw how much faith they had, he said to the man, get up, pick up your mat and go on home. And he did. The encouragement today is if you have a loved one or a friend that is struggling in, in some way or other, whether it be health or um, um, uh, job situations, relationships, use your faith. Pray for them. Trusting the God who knows the end from the beginning. Even though you're praying for someone who may have little or no faith of their own, God will honour your faith on their behalf. When Jesus saw how much faith they, the man's friends had, he said to the man, get up and walk. It was his friend's faith that brought him to Jesus. Secondly, refuse to give up. Do what these four friends did. They couldn't get in the door so they went home. Wrong. They couldn't get in through the roof so they made a hole and they got in there. So refuse to give in. If what you've tried so far hasn't worked, ask God and he'll show you the way. God is the one who heals people. He's the one who answers prayer. And then thirdly, look for faith partners is the encouragement. Perhaps there's somebody you're praying for and you would like other people to pray with you about that person. Then ask God. This man had four friends praying for him or taking him to Jesus. How many friends could you ask to help you in prayer for someone or some, some issue? God is still a miracle working God. He answers prayer. Do you believe it? He does. Just, uh, I think it was recently, I'm not sure if I preached it. I don't always remember the things that I preach. But, um, gee, that's not good, is it? The pastor, the preacher hopes that the people do, but the preacher, no, anyhow. Um, somewhere in the, in the recent past, I heard someone say, when we're going through difficult times, we shouldn't ask God why. We should say, where is God in this? You know, I thought about that this week and asking God why tends to put you in control. But if you're asking where are you God in this, you are looking for him, even in the midst of difficulties. Let's spend some time praying this morning. As I said, we'll pray for uh, um, Lee. There are others within the life of the church that are uh, having sleepless nights. There are others that are... um, uh, uh, 
Joan has returned home from hospital, suspected pneumonia, but it wasn't. It's a bronchial, bronchial condition that means that she can't swallow properly. So uh, we need to pray that God will uh, work in her life. Do you want to come and lead us in prayer, Barb? And then I'll pray as well. Father, we thank you that you invite us to pray. You invite us to meet with you, to 
listen to you, to speak with you. And Lord, often the burdens on our hearts are the friends and loved ones around about us. And so Lord, you know how we're feeling, but you also have an ultimate plan for each one of them. And we pray that you'll give us insight, Father, into your plan. Not asking why, but asking where are you. And Lord, may each one that has a question before you or a difficulty before you have their eyes open to see where you are right in the midst of that time. And Father, also to see the way that you're leading them out of it. We lift them before you today. We ask for ourselves as we open your word in a fresh way that Father, that you will help us to understand what your plan for us is today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, guess what we're looking at today? Any ideas? Joseph? Joseph? But in, in reality, we're continuing our journey of uh, Jesus the game changer to the ends of the earth and we will eventually get to Ireland today, by the way. It's not going to be a long service, long message rather, but we will get to Ireland eventually. Initially, we're going to start in Genesis. If you have your Bibles there, you might like to turn to Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to be reading there in a moment. But before that, I wonder if you know this song. Anybody know this song? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. Anybody know the actions? Anybody game enough to do the actions with me? Who doesn't know this song? Who doesn't know this song? Okay, we're learning a new song this morning. If you know it, let's see if I start on the right note. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the valleys are his, the stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do for you and you and you and you. New song. It's a song that is stuck in my head from many, many years of working with children in children's ministry and kids' clubs and Sunday schools. But do you believe those words? There's nothing my God cannot do. Do you believe that? Well, there are times when I would say most of us don't believe that. The tough times. The difficult times. And yet, down, deep down, as people of faith, I'm sure we have this, this understanding that God is a sovereign God, that God is a God who's in control, even though we can't understand what's going on, and that he has our trust in that sovereignty. And we, he knows the end from the beginning. I wonder if Joseph thought that way in the light of his evil brother's actions. Now, um, we've had an a, a, a intro, we've had a, a brief overview in the cartoon. Wasn't that a great cartoon? Yeah, I, just, I am staggered by people's creativity in communicating the message. So I had intended to read a whole heap of verses this morning, but I'm actually going to jump through fairly quickly. Even though these verses tell us the story of Joseph's life, I'm going to jump through to some of the ones I really want to focus on. We know the story. Let's see if I can get this through. His brothers had gone to their flocks near Shechem. Uh, Israel had said to Joseph, go and, and support your brothers. And then he said to them, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph, oh, 
When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They'd moved on from there. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went to Dothan. But they saw him in the distance and this is where the plot comes in and their their jealousy starts to take effect and their anger with him at uh, sharing with them his dreams or his visions about them bowing down to which all that kicks in here. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. This is his own family doing this. Here comes our dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. But Reuben was one of the older brothers. When he heard this, he tried to rescue him. So not everybody was in favour of the plot. Uh, But sadly, uh, it happened just the same. He said, don't shed any blood. Throw him in the cistern here in the desert. Don't lay a hand on him because he had planned to come back and, and rescue him from that. You know this story. They stripped him of his uh, multicoloured robe and they put him in the cistern. But then they saw the caravan of the Ishmaelites coming through on their way to Egypt and so they decided to sell him to them as a slave. Verse 26 says, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Wasn't it nice of them to think of that after the plot to kill him? His brothers agreed. I guess less guilt would be the motive there. Um, So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up, sold him. When Reuben came back to it in verse, verse 29, he saw that Joseph was not there and he was in anguish. Then he'd heard the story, how they had sold the brother on. So they slaughtered a goat, dipped the multicoloured coat into into the blood of the goat, went to their father and perpetuated the lie saying that his son was dead. You can imagine Jacob's um, anguish that a ferocious animal had taken his son. He was comforted by his family and went into mourning. Verse 36 says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Where's God's sovereignty in this? We know the end of the story, don't we? We know the end of the story, but but Joseph didn't at the time. He didn't know that part of God's plan for him was to somehow get to Egypt. He didn't know that. And whatever we're going through, even though it might be awful, it might be um, uh, sad, it might be painful, we don't know where God's taking us through this. Uh, Many of us have been in situations where we would be like Job and asking Job, why God, rather than where are you God? The second aspect of this story is the sovereignty of God at work. No idea what was happening, but gee, that uh, cartoon, that story, encapsulated it. All the... um, he was a slave, then he was put in charge. He was this, then he was put in charge. Did you get that? And did Joseph understand what it was all about? I don't know. But nowhere in that whole narrative do we hear that Joseph gave up on his faith in God. Nowhere do we hear that. He trusted God completely. Genesis 45 says this, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants. This is when the brothers had come before him in the royal court. Have everyone leave my presence. 
And then he revealed to his brothers who he was. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified of his presence. Why would they be terrified? He'd be out to get them. Revenge. That would, what's the day? That's what they would have thought. But then Joseph went on to say, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, to, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold in Egypt. Don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He knew. He understood the sovereignty of God. What a great lesson. What a great lesson for us. For two years now, there's been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will not be ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8 says, So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Do you know the story? I mean, it's over five or six chapters there in Genesis. But it's a great story that God was in control. God had a, a, a sovereign plan for the people of Israel. Continues on in chapter 50, just a little bit, a couple of verses says, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Does that happen today? Does that still happen today? Does, does God, is God still sovereign today? Do we do, still go through tough times today? Yes, we do. What about our response to what God says? What about our response? Okay. I want to give you a story about Ireland. And um, I just want to forewarn you that I'm, I'm looking at St. Patrick, who is a Catholic uh, priest. So if you've got a problem with Catholics, then um, just have a listen to what uh, the story of St. Patrick is. Who knows the story of St. Patrick? I think we all have glimpses of, of St. Patrick's story. Amazing to research it. But you know, some of his story is similar to Joseph's story. Did you know that? Let me, let me just skip it through. Okay, St. Patrick was known as the patron, patron saint of Ireland. He was captured by pirates as a child and brought to Ireland. During his enslavement, he was called to Christianity and escaped his captors after six years. He returned to Ireland as a missionary and in, in his teachings presented Christ in a contextualised manner to the people of that land. He's honoured annually in the feast on March 17, which we know is St Patrick's Day. And I was, I was really hoping that our St Patrick would be present today, but he's not here. Uh, remembering that in Christ we are all saints, okay? Uh, so that was the summary. Let me go into a little bit more detail. And you might be amazed at what God did through this guy because of his faith in Christ and his desire to serve God. In his early life, his name wasn't Patrick. In fact, he wasn't born in Ireland. He was born in Roman Britain at the time. And that's his name. Anyone want to have a go at saying that name? I'm suggesting it's, a, it's an adaptation or it's an early Mervyn. Mervyn Sakar, okay, so French sort of thing. But it was the part of the Roman world. 386 AD was when he was born, uh, 300 years or so after Christ. Much of his early life is unknown by historians, except that um, his dad, they know that his dad 
was a, a deacon uh, in the church from a, a Roman family of high social standing. His mother was also a, a close relative of one of the other priests of the time. He wasn't raised with a strong emphasis on religion. It wasn't a strong thing in his life. And he actually declares later on in his life that he, he, he blushed with fear because he, didn't, because he didn't have any real education. So he wasn't an educated person. At 16 years of age, I wonder how old Joseph was. At 16 years of age, uh, Patrick was captured by Irish pirates, brought him back to Ireland where they sold him into slavery. And his job there was to tend the master's sheep. Patrick's master was a man by the name of Milku. He was a high priest of Druidism, which was the predominant religion, a pagan religion that had major religious influence over the country at the time. Patrick came to view his enslavement as God's test of his faith. Now, he wasn't a religious person, but while he was out there on the hills looking after uh, his master's sheep, God spoke with him personally. In fact, he gave him a vision. And in that vision, he saw the children of pagan Ireland reaching out their hands to him and he grew increasingly determined to convert the Irish to Christianity. How's that? Is God in control here? You know, he's, he's a slave. He got stolen from his homeland. Yet God's put him in a place where he has a plan for him. Does God still do that? Yes, he does. I hope he doesn't enslave too many people, but he does have a plan for people today. He became free. He, he, he got free uh, in, in 408 AD. He was given a dream, the idea of escaping in a dream and told that there would be a ship waiting for him to take him away. The problem was that that ship was 200 miles away in those days and he had to go through lots of uh, warring um, tribes to get there. And somehow God got him through that. He got on board that ship. He, he, found, he, promised, uh, he was promised a trip back to Britain, ended up in France uh, with the rest of the crew. And um, while he was in France, he actually was reunited with his family. So they must have come over from Britain. And in that time, he felt a calling to know God more. So he trained as a priest. And he trained under a, a missionary priest. And that missionary priest was Saint Germain and he challenged people to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into the known world. He never lost sight of his vision to convert Ireland to Christianity. Then came his missionary work and he went to Ireland and he was initially met with resistance. I guess you could imagine that, a pagan country. Uh, It seems there may have been some Christians there but very few to know of. And in that time, he, he, he went far and wide uh, among the, isle, uh, the, the place of Ireland, the island of Ireland. How do you say that? And um, other missionaries were raised up. He preached from the Bible. He, he wrote uh, lots of documents and he contextualised, like our modern missionaries do, he contextualised the scriptures in a way that would, the locals would understand. You might have seen something like this. Anybody seen a cross like that? Do you know what it's called? It's a Celtic or Celtic cross. Do you know what it means? Anybody know what it means? No. The pagans of the day used to worship the sun and so um, 
St. Patrick said, well, the, the one that you're worshipping as the Son was created by the one true God. Gee, that sounds like an argument that Paul used somewhere in the era. era, era that's it. Good, glad you used that. To the, the monument to a, the unknown God. And so what St. Patrick did, what he took the worship of the Son and incorporated it, not incorporated, contextualised it into the Christian message and people were able to recognise the one that they were worshipping should have been the one true God, not the object of the Son. He saw many churches, monasteries, uh, councils of churches established throughout Ireland because he had this passion, this vision from God to go back to a place where he was once enslaved to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. He left something in his death and his leg- he left a legacy in his death and his, he, he died in Ireland, he was buried in, in the uh, town of Downpatrick in Ireland He left letters that he'd written. He introduced something to Ireland that's remembered today. Even in the frolickings of St. Patrick's Day, he introduced the uh, shamrock. He used that symbol of the shamrock to declare the Holy Trinity of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Did anybody know about that? Everybody knew about the shamrocks on St. Patrick's Day. But that's where his teaching, he tried to contextualise the scriptures with what the people already knew. Don't know where the green beer comes in or I don't know where the leprechauns come in. I I understand that uh, there were some fables of the day where the leprechauns were shoemakers and they had this pot of gold, all the rest. And it sort of got all, in our modern day, got all lumped in together. And sadly, well, sadly the tradition of St. Patrick's Day has been lost in the partying of St. Patrick's Day. Traditionally, families would attend church in the morning they would uh, spend time in, in worship and prayer. They would go home and eat a traditional meal, yummy cabbage and Irish bacon. Don't know, well, I don't know what the difference with Irish bacon is, but I'm not sure about the cabbage. But today, sadly, as in many other religious celebrations, they've been commercialised and some of the symbol has been lost. What's the story about St. Patrick for? I think it's because it shows us ultimately God is sovereign just like he was with Joseph. Joseph didn't understand, I'm sure, but he trusted God each step of the way. I don't think he liked being in prison. I wouldn't. And, and same with St. Patrick. Would he have liked being stolen away from his family? I doubt it. What were some of the similarities? They both suffered not through any cause of their own doing. Let me make it really clear, if we respond to God's direction, we may face some sort of suffering or anguish, not because of what we've done, because of what others have done. Both of them drew close to God. Both of them trusted God. Joseph, whatever servant position he was in, and certainly Patrick as that shepherd, they both heard God's direction, whether it be through a vision or a dream. They both waited on God's timing and they both saw God's hand at work in changing people's lives or in Joseph's case, in saving people's lives. Is that what we want? That's what God's plan for the kingdom of God present is. That's the gospel. God's plan is to see people's lives changed 
when they focused on him. God is still calling people to serve him today. He's still calling people out to serve him, both locally and further afield. We need a Christian religious instruction coordinator to carry on that wonderful role. We need instructors in Christian religious instruction. We need access place volunteers locally. Dare I say, Adrian, I'm going to put a plug in here. We would love to see a female team member fly into some of the isolated Gulf communities to sit with the women who are believers and encourage them in those communities. If you want to know more about that, talk to Adrian. He's got all the details. There are jobs that have been listed recently with Missionary Aviation Fellowship locally. These are just local. God's not asking us to to go further afield just in these situations. And certainly it's harder now with the uh, restrictions that are in place. But God may be saying to you today, are you prepared to put your life online for me? Because I know the future from now. Do you trust me in that? Let's hope he doesn't want to put any of you into slavery to get your attention. Can I leave you with a promise this morning? And it's this promise in, in um, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is sovereign. He's in control. We have to trust him in that. We have to not ask why God, but where are you in this God? And perhaps we need to say, what do you want me to do? Let's pray. If you're unsure about what God wants you to do, happy to sit with you and pray with you any time to seek his will and purpose for your life. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the scriptures, the story of Joseph, a very precious memory to many of us who went through Sunday school years and have read that story again since, to see how even in the midst of difficulties he trusted you. Lord, we look at the more recent story of uh, St. Patrick and realise that you had your hand on his life for your purposes. Many more stories to come, Father. Many more stories of how you have challenged people, individuals or, or churches or families to do something extraordinary for you. And you've never let us do it alone. You've always been with us. So, Father, thank you for challenging us today on how your gospel is going to the ends of the, ends of the earth People's lives are still being dramatically changed by the power of your gospel. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Bob.